Welcome to Charged Up Studio Live, where small business owners get charged up for success. Are you a small business owner? Do you find yourself struggling through the many responsibilities that come with the title entrepreneur? Well, we're here for you. Charged Up Studio is hosted by Market Academy LLC, your prescription for what we call OPA. What is OPA? It's when you become so overwhelmed with the confusion that comes with business ownership that you become paralyzed and ultimately avoid doing anything in hopes it will take care of itself or you put it off till later. Does that sound familiar? I'm your host, Dan Olivo, and each week we bring a business professional eager to charge you up as they talk about the many things that keep you from moving forward with your small business. So are you ready to get charged up for success? Let's hit it. So welcome back to Charged Up Studio, where we navigate the highs and lows of the business world with the brightest minds in the field. As artificial intelligence continues to evolve and becomes more integrated into various industries, it brings new challenges and considerations in the realm of trademark and copyright protection. AI's ability to generate contact, content from written works or artistic to artistic creations raises questions about who holds the intellectual property rights to AI-generated works. Traditionally, copyright law protects the original works of human authors, but the role of AI blurs these boundaries. Similarly, trademarks typically used to protect brand identities face new complexities in the AI-driven market. The shared nature of AI models, along with uh, often built on collective data and contributions, complicates this, the assignment of ownership rights. This evolving landscape necessitates a re-examination of existing legal frameworks when it comes to and keeping pace with technological advancements and adequate, adequately addresses issues of authorship, ownership, and protection in the age of AI. So today, we're closing out our monthly focus on charting your business's path to success. I'm Dana Olivo, our host, and our guest this week is going to talk about how to protect your assets in a time where AI has opened up accessibility to our intellectual property. Arin Koger <laughs> is the principal and founder of Koger Law Firm, specializing in trademark and copyright law. She is a passionate and versatile name, image, and likeness. I had to look this up, N-I-L strategist and trademark attorney who helps student athletes pursue NIL deals and educate students and universities on the emerging NIL landscape. She is also the founder of NIL Prime Management, a premier management company for college and professional athletes, where she leverages her athletic or her athlete marketing essentials, NIL certification to negotiate locate and manage NIL and influencer contracts for her clients. Woo, 
So let's give a heartfelt Charged Up Studio welcome to attorney Corinne Coger. Welcome, Corinne. Thank you so much for having me. No, I'm so glad you're here. And this is such a viable subject matter that needs to be um, uh, expressed or explained moving into 2024. You know, especially with the introduction of AI. And I and I will tell you, I use ChatGPT 20, 30 times a day. And because, not because I use the information and put it out there, but because it gives me ideas on writing my own content, you know, and things like that. But yeah, it's important to understand this because what I write, I have to remember, is also going out to everybody else out there. That's correct. So before we get started, I always kick off our podcast sessions with one question designed to give our audience a little insight into who you are. So are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. If you could go back in time and give your young self some solid advice, what advice would you give her and at what age? I would give my young self advice at 19 which would be to follow your dreams and the money will come. That's, you know, that's, that's basically what everybody needs to understand. You know, you follow your dreams, you know, you, the monetization of those dreams ultimately will become clear to you. Absolutely. You know, so, so can you give, um, to, to, to begin with, can you provide an overview of the key challenges that arise in protecting intellectual property in today's age with AI. Absolutely. Um, so I'll start with the challenges of protecting intellectual property, period. I would say the biggest challenge is people not recognizing what they have to protect. A lot of times when I speak with people and I ask them, why have they not you know, trademark the assets of their business or file copyrights, they say, I just don't know what to do. You know, I don't know what I'm supposed to trademark. I don't know what I'm supposed to copyright. I don't know the difference. And because of that confusion, a lot of times people tend to put those things uh, on the back burner, which is uh, opposite of what they should be doing. They should be protecting intellectual property rights from the very beginning of your business. And once you start putting out um, your intellectual property into the world. So I would say that is the biggest challenge overall. Now with the advent of AI, the question is also, what can I <laughs> copyright and what can I trademark? And uh, so if you get over the first hurdle, knowing, okay, I should you know trademark my logo, I should trademark my slogan, uh, the name of my business, copyright is something different. Then when I introduce AI, what can be protected? And so um, for those of us who've been working in the AI world, we know that a lot of AI pulls from whatever is out there already. So it may be somebody else's pictures or images that make that, um, People own the copyrights to them, you know, even if they don't file them at the copyright office, which is, is an extra level of protection. But as soon as you create an image, um, there is a copyright owner for that. So if AI is going out on the internet and pulling from other people's images or pulling from other people's publications, you may um, be infringing upon somebody else's copyright or trademark work. Interesting. Interesting. So, you know, with with that in mind, okay, um, when we talk about trademark and copyright and we're moving more into an educational 
webinar, virtual environment, okay? How, how do we protect our, our, our intellectual property as far as that is concerned? Is it a copyright infringement? You know, what, how do we protect our, our new products that are now being put out there virtually? Okay, so I will start with with copyright, um, mainly because it's it's slightly easier, only because the the process to obtain a copyright registration is is shorter. So typically, right now, if you file for copyright registration, it's taking about four to six months in order to receive your registration certificate. And when it comes to trademarks, um, it's it's taking about twelve to eighteen months. So just um, to make it plain for your listeners, I say you trademark um, you trademark your business and your brand. You copyright your content. So trademark business brand copyright content. So the name of your podcast is something that you would trademark. If you have a logo for your podcast, that's something for your trademark. The actual podcast episodes or the transcripts that go along with your podcast episodes, those are the assets that you're going to copyright. So I have to copyright every one of my episodes and things like that? Yes, you should. You should, but I mean, the fact that I can show a line of, or, or a history of development and things like that, does that protect me at all? It does protect you because again, okay. as soon as you create it, you are the copyright owner. The okay. copyright registration gives you an extra level of protection. So if somebody does infringe upon you, or if somebody does take you know the content, the every word that you mentioned in your podcast and they put it on their podcast and you see it on, on Facebook or one of the other social media uh, sites, and you go to file what's called a takedown notice, the first thing that these websites are going to ask you are, do you hold you know, the copyright registration for this? So even though you are the copyright owner, that registering it gives you that extra level of protection. It enables you to pursue them legally and in court and be able to um, recover damages. You know, and that becomes another problem in itself because now with the virtual environment, you know, podcasting, you know, and things like that, you've got so much content being generated on a regular basis. It can get expensive and time consuming to do this on a, on, you know, every single thing. Tell us, right. yeah, tell us what is, is there any other way that we can protect ourselves, you know, without having to, you know, do every single thing that we do, you know, this so, is, yeah. So I went. I will say that there are some nuances in the copyright law. So instead of thinking I have to copyright every single thing, this is where you will um, consult with attorneys. Um, for instance, as of I think it was two thousand and one, the Copyright Office put out an application for um, for short works. So for instance, for blog posts. So if you were to copyright your blog post, you can copyright up to 10 blog posts at a time. So you don't necessarily have to copyright every single one of them. So are your podcast episodes, are they being posted as, um, as audio visual um, audiovisual episodes? 
are they being posted as blog posts? Um, and that that is a certain nuance that you would work with an attorney to help figure out to see if there are different ways that you can you can register. That's you know it's, it opens up a whole different can of worms you know, <laughs> when you start thinking about that because you know personally you know my podcasts my blogs everything that I do all of my content is pushed out via social media. It's all directed back to my website or to right. the, the podcast website and things like that. But, you know, who's to say that somebody's not going to just pick it up and, and use it? So you have to be monitoring that as well. Yes. Absolutely. You have to monitor. And and in fact, um, especially if it's a trademark at the trademark office, you know, you have a duty. You have a duty to monitor um, your stuff. And there are sites and services that you can uh, you can um, subscribe to that will conduct the monitoring for you. If you want to do it yourself, again, you can you know contact an, an attorney's office like mine. We do internal monitoring for our clients. Um, so it will go out and scrape the internet. So if I, you know, perhaps, you know, mon monitor the title of your podcast. If somebody else is using that title and it's out there on the internet, our services will scrape it and notify us. And you have a duty to protect yourself and protect your, yes. your assets and, and reach out to them and send a cease and desist. Um, otherwise, you could lose your trademark or your copyright if you do not, if you do not um, continue to monitor and protect. Well, and I'll be honest with you, when it comes to trademarks, yes, you know, my brand, my my uh, the market atomy concept, which is the story, the, the 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 vision behind market atomy, everything, all of that, I have trademarked. Okay, wonderful. I, I, huh? I said wonderful. <laughs> yeah. But when it comes to all of my content, all right, um, I'm not saying that I have copyrighted everything. Okay, right. because I was under the understanding that if I can show a history where I have developed it you know, and things like that, that was enough protection. But what you're saying is, is that's not necessarily the case. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and right now, so many business owners are getting into the podcasting aspecting and we put out blogs on a regular basis, you know, and things like that. So it's interesting to find out that we're not necessarily protected that way. Um, from someone taking taking our intellectual property. Yeah. That's correct. And that's why, you know, I do stress, you know, working with an attorney. And one of the services that my office offers is what's called an IP audit. So with that, we sit down with a business owner like you who does have a lot of assets. So again, we we sit down and we go over everything that you have, you know, right. what do you have, what is contained within your business, and then we make a plan and a strategy, you know, what is important to to file and register first, you know, again, there are different, uh, different time elements, there are different cost elements. Um, so you have, we will figure out, you know, a strategy for you going forward. No, it's, very, <laughs> it's it's a lot to take in in this time, this day and age with what we're doing, the content development, you know, and things like that. So um, what are some specific examples of intellectual property issues that have emer emerged due to AIs? Sure. Um, I would say, I'll start with Canva. 
So most people in the in the creative world are very familiar with Canva. Um, if you use Canva, they they, they provide images that you can use. If you are on Canva Premium, there are also more images that you can use. So one of the things that you cannot do is you cannot take an image that you got from Canva, claim it to be your own, and file it as a trademark. However, what you can do and what is allowed in Canva's licensing and it's in their terms and conditions are you can take those images and elements and you can change them and add to them and alter them and then make them your own. And that is something that you can, that you can trademark. So um, with Canva now, they also have an AI component. So you can come into Canva and write a prompt and say what type of image you would like to create. The same thing if you're creating an image on, on Midjourney or using um, Dali via ChatGPT, you can go in and you can write a prompt and say what you want to, to create. But is it possible to actually trademark that image if they are pulling you know, again, from other, other work that can be protected. Well, so, then, yeah, then that opens up the question because I, you know, I purchase subscriptions to different image libraries. Okay. Right. And the images that I might pull from them have the description, you know, that you have to put in their property rights, you know, uh -huh. that type deal. And I do include that, but when I go and trademark or copyright, my content that might include that image and it has that in my safe there. It depends on what that license provides for. So some of the licenses, a lot of people use um, creative common licenses. Um, if you're, if you're in that world, you're, you might be familiar with them. So, you know, most people are familiar with an all exclusive license, which means, you know, the person that created this, they own it. They do not give you the right to use it. If you want to use it, you need to reach out to them. Um, or there may be another license that says, yes, you can use this as long as you give attribution. Or there may be another that's license that says, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. that's what yeah. you were discussing. Yes. Or another exactly. license that may say, you know, you can use it and you can alter it. You know, So when you are working with those images that you purchase or that you get from somebody else, you do want to pay attention to what that license says. So a good example of this is Etsy. A lot of people purchase images from Etsy. And if you, when you purchase your images for Etsy, you have to go on the right-hand side, scroll all the way down and look and see what the license says. Because oftentimes um, the licenses on Etsy might be for personal use but you cannot use them commercially. So if you're going to take an image of a rainbow that you got on Etsy, you want to put it on a shirt for you, that's fine. But if you want to put it on a shirt and sell it to the public, that is not okay based right. upon that license. Right. But the owner of that Etsy um, store might say, for an additional fee, you can purchase the commercial license and then you can go ahead and sell this. Or you can take this image and now alter it and make it into your own. So it's a lot of fine print that people have to read and just think every day we all go on different websites. They ask you to accept cookies or they have the terms and conditions that nobody reads. You just scroll to the bottom, click the button, say, okay. And you don't know what you're saying. Okay. To, you yes. know, so. no, I have run into, I have run into some of the images that I have, you know, attempted to use. And if it says that it can't be used for commercial, it can't be used for commercial in sales. 
Okay. Right, right. Basically, right. you can't make money from this image, but if you use it on, you know, say a marketing brochure or just promotion or something to that effect, you're okay. You know, so you have to read those, you know, so with all of these changes that are going on with AI and intellectual property and everything, what legal frameworks or regulations are currently in place and what do you see coming down the road that we should be you know, paying attention to? So right now, there are very few legal frameworks that are in place. The Copyright Office has you know, stated um, you cannot just copyright just straight up AI. Again, um, if you use uh, ChatGPT the way you described it at the beginning, you go in there, you get an idea and you make that idea into your own you know, that that's different, you know, but if you are just straight, you know, creating an article using chat GPT, popping it up on your website, what you should do and what you should ethically do is let somebody know this has been powered by AI or powered by open AI or where you got it from. Um, but that might not be an article that you can copyright. But if, like I said, you generate an idea, a lot of, a lot of people use chat GPT to come up with outlines. You know, you have an idea for a, for a blog, Right. You put your outline in there. They spit out an outline, which helps you organize your thoughts. And then if you take that and make it your own, then that you can copyright. Uh, so, Even with my book, you know, I'll put in, you know, my thoughts and I'll say, OK, I need content developed around these thoughts. Right. You know, and things like that. And it will do that. And then I run it through my editor, you know, or, or something like that. And I say, okay, you know, yes, I did use chat GPT, you know, to help generate the, the, the verbiage, you know, the content and everything, but it was my thoughts, you know, and they will run it through their plagiarism, you know, right. uh, you know, platform or whatever, and tell me how close it is and, and whether I've made enough changes in it to you know that type deal right. but um in today's in today's world you know business world um the ai ai brings a lot of benefits in the in the sense of streamlining production and yes. being able to do what we need to do you know and things like that but as we're saying here on this podcast is we have to be careful don't use it as your own material Right. You need to turn around. You need to, you know, really pay attention to what you're putting out there. Right. Um, you know, so we talked a little bit about how companies and individuals go about protecting their AI generated innovations, you know, et cetera. Um, are there any notable cases or trends that you have seen that are occurring right now um, as far as this is concerned? I'm sure they are, but I do not have any off the top of my head. I'm sorry. I was not prepared for that one. <laughs> no, no, that's understandable. You know, I can tell you that I have been doing a lot of work, um, research work and everything on the AI side, primarily on um, uh, not necessarily chat GPT, but on, you know, your, your CRM programs, your databases, all of this is all critical because we're using these platforms to streamline our businesses. Um, and um, by doing that, are we opening ourselves up to being um, in violation of any of these laws? 
Well, it depends on how you're using them. I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with using ChatGPT to come up with your process, but are you taking your process to a level that you're saying that it's proprietary and that it needs to be, it's something that does need to be um, registered with the copyright office? Um, or is it, or is it something that's generic? You know, um, if you have a process that you use AI to help you come up with, but you, you make it exclusive to you and exclusive to your business, that is something that you could probably copyright down the road, but you cannot, you cannot copyright ideas. Um, so, so a lot of times, you know, we're putting, we're using AI to come up with ideas. So you cannot copyright the idea, but once you put it into a form or put it into a document and a medium and you make it for you and you, you individualize it, there's something different. The problem that we're going to have with the laws in AI is something that's existed for a long time, which is the law moves very slowly and AI is changing daily. So if the Copyright Office and the USPTO office make rulings about AI and what can be registered or not today, something might change in six months. So they're really trying, I mean, they are working diligently on this. They're holding hearings. They're trying to learn as much as possible to figure out how to tackle this in the future. Um, and one thing I just wanted to let your listeners know, um, you mentioned that when you when you produce your work and you send it to your editor and they run it through plagiarism sites, you can do that too. So I use a site that's called CopySpace and I have no affiliation. I don't make any money off of this promotion, but I've been using this for 10 years um, <laughs> just because, you know, I, I never wanted to plagiarize anybody. But if I have something and I am curious, you know, as to could I be infringing upon somebody else's rights, they have a free site and I, I pay for the paid site. I think it's literally like, three cents per 10,000 words, you know, yeah. but I, yeah. I put it in there to see um, whether I am infringing upon somebody because a lot of the stuff that I talk about, you know, the laws, what, what can you trademark? What are the different trademark classes? These things aren't necessary. you know, they come from the trademark office website. These aren't things that are proprietary that, you know, I can copyright, but did using AI, did it pull it from somebody else's proprietary information? And so I just want to check and, you know, check on that. So I would encourage your listeners and watchers to do the same. And I, I love the way that you talked about your ideas cannot be, you know, copyrighted because I work with a lot of what we call ideologists. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they, you know, they claim, you know, this is my idea. And I keep telling them it's not your idea until you put it in mm -hmm. effect until you start putting it on paper, start developing something around it, you know, and things like that. It's just an idea. It's out there in the wind. Mm -hmm. um, That's correct. When, I, when I work with my clients, you know, I tell them there's five phases to growing and scaling a business. The idea is the first phase, but then you have to prove it. Mm -hmm. Then you build it, then you fund it, and then you grow it. But until that idea becomes a solid product or service or business, right. you know, it's still just something that's out in the wind and it is not owned. Correct. <laughs> so many of them will come, I wish I came up with that idea or I did come up with that idea. That's, you know, that's my idea. And <laughs> it doesn't make a difference, you know. <laughs> so, right. you know, it's, it's important for our audience to understand that, you know, you can have some great ideas, but until you actually act upon it, you right. know? Yes. 
So what challenges do you face when it comes to litigating and defending intellectual property cases involving AI? So I'm going to be honest with you. I have not litigated an intellectual property case involving AI. It's still fairly new. Right, exactly. So um, although AI has been around for years, AI, the way we know it and the way we talk about it right now has, has been around for just a little bit over a year. When you talk about the advent of ChatGPT and Claude and Bard, the ones that you know most of us are using on a regular basis. So these matters have not hit the courts yet. Right, right. No, that's exactly it, you know. And when you when you think about it, you know, it's it's like uh no, the thought completely went out of my mind what I was gonna just say. Mm-hmm. You know, it was we were talking about what you face. Um, I can't remember what it was now. <laughs> yeah, but what challenges, you know, I would face defending these type of Yes, cases. yes. And I think exactly. also um, I think one of the things that you I would think of, and it's not necessarily just AI, but information gathering for my client. So for instance, if I ask my client, you know, where did you get this this trademark from? Or where did you get this logo from? Oh, well, I hired somebody um, you know, off of Fiverr or Upwork or whatever to make it for for me. Okay, well, did you also get a copyright transfer agreement right. signed? Right. Um, a lot of times we we use these services, these freelance services, and it is in their terms of condition that this is a work for hire, but I always encourage people to take the extra step, have the person making it for you, um, sign a work for hire um, agreement, and also ask them where they got those images from. So I ran into this with a graphic artist I used to work with years ago. And I would, you know, what I found is that he would just go on Google, you know, and, and take images off of Google and give them to me, you know, and again, I'm in this world. So, you know, I, I, I'm familiar with this and I'm like, you can just go and do a reverse Google search. And here's the image. Like you did not make this. This was not, you know, this was not original. So now you're passing it off to me. So again, a lot of people are hiring these other, you know, graphic artists to produce this for you. You don't know that the image itself is not original. You think you're you're purchasing original work. Well, let's take this this conversation internationally now. Okay. Oh boy. <laughs> Especially with the virtual environment, you know, and it's so easy to cross country boundaries, you know, and things like that. Let's talk about international agreements and treaties in governing intellectual property. Okay. Can you talk to that? Actually, I'm going to pass on that one because I do, even though I know uh, general treaties and I, I stick with U.S. intellectual property for this for the moment. OK, it's my understanding that when you're talking about international, you've got a difference between a U.S. patent and an international patent, you know, or, you know, or something like that. And you have to basically you have to have both of them if you're going to be dealing internationally. Yes, if you are dealing internationally. So for for clients that I have or potential clients that I have, such as those, and like, for instance, if you're working in the e-commerce world, at the the way, the where my firm is at the time, I would refer that to another attorney who focuses more on international because I don't want to hold myself out there as if I'm an expert on this area and I'm not. Yes, no, and I understand. I, you know, me as a strategist, I know just enough to be dangerous. Let's put it that way, okay? And and I do indicate to them, you know, you, we do need to reach out. But as a strategist, we're, I am building into their overall strategy. Okay, now we need to be looking at 
your IP. We need to be looking at your trademarks. We need to, we need to be looking at all of this, you know. Mm -hmm. And as a result, there's a cost involved and you need to prepare for that cost. Right. Um, so that's part of my job as a strategist to guide them along those, those pathways, you know. Um, and I, I appreciate you preparing them such as that, because again, as I said, at the top of the podcast, a lot of people put IP on the back burner or, you know, because they either don't understand it or they're scared of the cost. And what they don't realize is if you do not confront IP at the very beginning, not doing so can cost you way more, you yeah. know, if you inadvertently infringe upon somebody else's, you know, trademarks or copyrights and they sue you. You could be caught up in litigation for months and years. It can cost you attorney's fees. It can cost you in damages if, you know, the court finds against you. So it's more, it's, it's, it's better and it's strategic to deal with it up front in at the beginning instead of playing on the defense. And, and the other thing to point out is I have been hit with twice in my 10 years or guess or whatever, uh, with a cease and desist order. Okay. Mm -hmm. One was on the name of a group that I had and, and, you know, I had basically it was the Orlando economic development group. Okay. We have the Orlando economic development council here. Okay. And the council was trying to say, no, you need to you know, cease and desist on this. And I spoke with my attorney and they said, no, these are common names. These are not something that they can trademark themselves. Mm -hmm. So right. Orlando Economic Development is a common name and can be used. The fact that I put group on the end you know, is what saved me mm -hmm. <laughs> as far as that's concerned. So that's one thing. The other thing I wanted to point out is the fact that you know, when you get notification from somebody as far as um, images, you know, they'll, they'll send, look like it's a legal email or whatever and saying, you know, this image, you know, make a point of checking on where it's coming from because there are Absolutely. a lot of companies. Let's talk about this. Yes. There's a lot of companies out there that will put these emails out saying that you're using these images illegally, trying to collect fees and things like that. So can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. It happens all the time. It's very rampant. So I'll start with the trademark. So when you file a trademark application, it's public, it's open to the public. So there are companies, some that are very well known, they'll go look at, you know, look at the trademark applications and shoot off a, shoot off a letter, you know, or an email um, stating, you know, you have this coming up, um, you know, you need to pay a thousand some dollars. So thankfully I do advise my clients about this and, you know, tell them if they get anything like this, check with me first. Right. Um, like uh, you, they, you, people will do this with images also. So if you are, you know, if you are on receipt of any of these letters or emails, you do want to check on the legitimacy. Obviously the first line of defense is, you know, Googling, you know, that company, um, <laughs> some of them, like I said, are very well known. So it will show up that they are frauds. And if you, you know, have questions, you know, you do want to contact counsel. Yeah. Yeah. And I do respond with the fact that, no, this is a purchased image and I show them the licensing, you mm -hmm. know, uh, statement, you know, and everything. And usually that will get rid of them, but there are some that will say, you know, no, this is not the case, you know. Um, and those are the ones that are generally just after making the quick buck. And yeah. this is the time of year that it is so rampant. Yes. Everything like that is so rampant. So um, are there emerging technologies or strategies that we can 
utilized to help improve the enforcement of intellectual property? Is there anything that you can recommend to us? I would say yes. Again, I'm sorry, I wasn't prepared for this question yeah. off the top mm -hmm. of my head. Um, there are definitely reputation management firms and IP, like I said, IP monitoring firms are are the best line of defense. Um, the way you work with them is you, you tell them what IP you are monitoring. Um, so for instance, um, for me, I'm I'm in a sorority, and a there's a lot of uh, sorority paraphernalia all over the internet. Again, um, Amazon and Etsy, and a lot of them have great monitoring services. So when it does pop up, you know they do get a notification. Um, and so when you have a monitoring service like that, it takes. I'm not going to say it takes the onus off of you, but you have another level of def defense because you don't have time to, you know, scour at sea all day, every day to see if somebody's, you know, using your images. Yep. How about a resource that will kind of give us a heads up on something that is evolving in mm -hmm. the in the IP trademark landscape? You know, a newsletter or something that we could sign up to as a small business owner to get heads up when we need to be paying attention. What I will do is follow up with you because I'm actually in the process of, of making a document such as that. There um, you go. Yeah. For the public. So I will definitely get that out to you because again, there's so many resources, you know, so which ones are reputable. And uh, so I'm in the process of working on that and I will get that back to you. Okay. Yes. No, this will be airing the end of January. So yeah. if you can get me a link, you yeah. know, and stuff like that, we'll make a point of putting that into the um the transcripts okay great concerned okay yep. so we're coming up on the end of another episode of charged up studio and thank you karen for you know joining us today and shedding light on the importance of protecting our assets with the introduction of ai as it relates to the growth of our business how can our audience members find out more about you and and you know, your, your services, et cetera. Where can they reach you? Absolutely. They can reach me online at cogerlawfirm.com. So that's C-O-G-E-R lawfirm.com. If they would like to um, book a call, a free um, discovery call with me, they can book at go.cogerlawfirm.com. And we can also be found on social media, such as Facebook and Instagram under Coger Law Firm. And I can be found under Corinne Coger ESQ. Very good. Very good. And all of this will be included in the transcripts for this podcast once it drops. So that concludes our podcast for today. So please leave a review on any of the streaming platforms you happen to be listening to us on or go to Charged Up Studio's Facebook page and leave a review there. Charged Up Studio is the product of Marketatomy and Marketatomy Academy, the e-learning system designed specifically with the micro business owner in mind. For more information uh, and go to register for any of our courses, uh, go to Marketatomy, M-A-R-K-E-T-A-T-O-M-Y dot Academy. And until next week, where we'll bring you another exciting guest and we'll kick off a new focus for our next month. Um, this is Dana Olivo, your host, and go out and have a charged up week. You've been listening to Charged Up Studio Live, the podcast with you, the small business owner in mind, with your host, Dana Olivo. Join us every Tuesday as we bring you valuable tips and insights 
into many of the topics you don't know, you don't know about growing a successful business. Please leave us a review on any of the streaming platforms you are listening to or visit us on the YouTube or Facebook page and leave a review or subscribe so you don't miss another episode. You can also support us through Patreon by visiting our website, chargedupstudio.live and click on the Patreon link. Until next week, go out and have a charged up week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.